and welcome to another episode of Acumen. On this episode, we're joined from Israel by someone who was our guest speaker on episode four and shared his experiences of the drug cartels in Mexico and terrorist training camps in Venezuela. He's going to be narrating chapters of a book on this podcast, which has been translated from Hebrew to English. The book is called My Way Warrior, and it was written by another of our previous guests, Doobie, who we interviewed in episode six. For any of our new listeners who haven't had the chance to hear episode six, Doobie is a former member of an elite Israeli special forces unit that the Netflix hit TV series Fowder was based on. If you haven't listened to episode four or six, I highly recommend you download them. They're free to download They're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and Amazon. And we also have an audience in 20 countries and 118 cities, which isn't bad considering we started this podcast last summer on a whim just to relieve the boredom of the first lockdown. So at this point, I think it's only right now to hand over to our special guest, Oren, who's a former operative of Israel's version of MI5. He has his own investigation agency over there. And to top it all off, according to our listeners who heard him on the previous podcast, he's got a voice for podcasts and a voice for audiobooks, which I completely agree with. And welcome back to the show, and shalom, Oren. Shalom, Jimmy. Nice to hear from you again. Happy New Year to everyone, to all our listeners. Thanks for joining us on the show. I'm really excited to hear more of Doobie's book now that you've had the opportunity to translate it from Hebrew to English. I know we had a, some amazing feedback from our listeners who said that Oren's podcast really resonated with them. There some absolute pearls of wisdom came out of that. So we're all quite excited to, to hear that and hear you narrate it. How's I know we haven't spoken since uh, since last year, really. How's how's twenty twenty one been for you so far? Well, actually, twenty twenty one was promising. It started off on a sad note. My mum, my mum passed away. My mother, like nine days ago, a bit surprisingly, and um, so we're sad about that. Obviously, quite shocked, but we're trying to get back into rhythm. And uh, this is one of the steps. One of the steps is uh, talking to you guys, and I'm really happy for it. And I was actually thinking of sharing with you something I said in our funeral. In Israel, when we have a funeral for a mother or father, it is usually customary for the sons or the daughters to say something about uh, the significance of that parent to them. So I spoke from my heart, really, on that occasion, uh, last uh, Friday. It was the Friday before this one. But uh, I remember the true story, something that happened to me 24 years ago. And might be interesting, you know, because it has a lot of reflections. And I think I'm going to dig deeper into that in, in another occasion. Well, I think as this podcast is based on self-reflection it's only right but i hand the mic over to you so i'm going to put myself on mute and it's over to you oren so during the 90s the mid 90s after i finished my government service i was working for a few years in two very different professions one of them was as a private contractor and a manager for security and investigation projects uh, basically all over europe mostly 
And the other was I was a river guide, a rafting guide in whitewater rivers. I joined a group of whitewater rafting guides that worked basically in all over the world. But I, I worked in Turkey, I worked in Israel, I worked in Switzerland. And uh, in '96, after six months uh, leading a project in Budapest, where I ran a security project, a covert security project, I was aching to go back to do some rafting. And I was I became aware of a of a job they needed an extra guide in the Inn River. The Inn River is a river flowing in Switzerland and Austria. Innsbruck is a famous uh, city on its path. So I drove over there from Budapest just as I finished my project and I arrived at the Inn River in a small village. And the guy who was operating this uh, white reader, white water rafting uh, operation there was a guy from uh, New Zealand, the Kiwi, which he had known me before. And he told me, well, Oren, I know your abilities and I know you're a good river guide, but take one day to do some scouting and know the river. Scouting in a rafting world is, a, is something you do by foot. Usually you do it uh, by foot from the river banks. You scout the river and you learn its currents, its uh, significant rocks, curves and everything. So you can plan a safe path through the rapids. So that day I went walking and I took a turn where there was a very complicated rapid and I was scouting it from the river bank. But the river bank was very steep. I had to cross like a, a very steep cliff. It became a little bit hot. So I said, okay, I'm going to float down this river because I, I'm a pretty good swimmer, at least I was at that time, and I knew how to read the currents. And when I swam this uh, rapid, I was planning... Just beyond the curve of the cliff, I was planning to catch an eddy. An eddy is an up-flowing stream created by a curve in a flowing river. Uh, but it didn't turn out good. I, I missed the eddy, and I was carrying on, floating on. The river became more and more steep, the walls more high, and I was starting to to worry. So then I, I remembered about uh, you know when we learned river rafting, we used to give names to different kinds of rocks and currents and uh, trees to know how to identify them and use them. It's a, it's a personal thing. And one of the rocks I had already named like four years before, it's a, it's a rock which I called a mother rock. Now, why did I call it a mother rock? My mother was a very small, edgy woman. I mean, she was, she was a tough talker and she was very preoccupied. But she has always been the rock that I could count on to tie my raft, as we say, or grab with my hand if I needed help. In any adventure I took upon myself uh, during my young years, I always know I could count on her. So when I missed that river bend, and I was, I remember thinking clearly to myself, I'm going to have to look for a mother rock. I didn't get to a point where I was fearing I would be dead. But I was starting to get really cold, and I bumped with some nasty rocks. And I was reaching out, trying to grab rocks, but they were all very slippery, and the current was strong. Until finally, I managed to grab with my left hand, I remember it, because it was the left riverbank. I managed to grab a sharp, nasty rock, but one that was planted really well in the outgoing cliff. And I managed to swing my body into the upcurrent eddy and save myself. Then I had to walk about two hours back to the base camp, but, but I was safe. So that significance of uh, my mother being that mother rock, the thing I could always count on, whatever would go wrong, 
that was what my mother signified to me. And uh, it's, it's something very, you know, very powerful to me. So that was the story I told in the cemetery nine days ago. Well, that is an absolutely lovely story when you related back. I think it's fair to say that it's a, a huge moment when you lose a parent, either your mother or your father. Uh, so I, I completely get where you're coming from there, Oren, and what an absolutely lovely analogy. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you very much. And uh, since then, I've been thinking about other analogies the river had taught me, but it's not for this podcast. I don't want to distray from the subject. I will tell you personally when we talk again. But now I'm ready to uh, narrate and talk about the wonderful book wrote by Doobie, which you introduced so well. Doobie is a friend of mine. He also works in my company whenever I, I have a chance. He's a private contractor now. He works, uh, he still teaches some uh, elite forces here as a reserve. And he, whenever I can, I take him on private jobs. He's an excellent operative, excellent in surveillance. And the man you want to have next to you when shit hits the fan, as the Americans say. He's a very quiet person, and although I know him for about eight years, and we spent many, many hours sitting together in surveillance or observations or security operations, he usually is not a big talker. And he always told me about his book that he was writing. It took even longer than he planned to come out because of the COVID crisis. It just came out like uh, seven months ago, I think. And I was surprised of the, the deep uh, thoughts that he he writes. He's a much more eloquent writer than a speaker. And so there's a lot of wisdom in that book. I just want to correct something we said in the beginning. I haven't translated all his book yet because although you know, my Hebrew is good, of course, and my English is not bad, I'm not a professional, not a professional translator. But for the sake of these podcasts and to get the opinion of you know our listeners, I translated a few chapters from his book. His book is a very philosophical book, which is he addresses topics. Every topic is two to three pages maximum. It's quite deep. So I took the time and I translated a few of them. And he gave me the permission to do so and also to narrate it on the podcast. And if uh, there will be interest to hear from uh, any listeners, he can address them personally in another podcast. Okay, so I'll give a brief introduction into Doobie, the man. Doobie is a nickname. The, my friend's name is Dov. Dov means in Hebrew bear. And Doobie actually means a little bear. But not because he's little, it's a, it's a nickname. And so Doobie, as I said, wrote this book. And during the last few years, he recollected some thoughts, some deep thoughts. And I'll tell a little bit about his experience. Doobie is 50 years old. I think he just turned 50. And uh, he joined the Israeli army at 18, like most of us. He served in a special unit. When he was released from that special unit, which already had to do with infiltration into Arab territories, he signed in into a more operational and more special unit, which does pretty much the same, but far deeper and far longer missions. Uh, this unit is the main unit which the series uh, Fauda in Netflix was based upon. It was based upon two or three units, but that unit where, which is still classified, where Duby was serving as a warrior, was uh, is the main unit that is based upon. Uh, Duby 
since his childhood, as he himself described in another podcast, number six, I think, he understood very quickly that he was an archetype of a warrior. When he was very young, he grew up in a rough neighborhood in Tel Aviv, and he found himself uh, protecting the weak, fighting very fiercely against the bullies. He signed up for martial arts school when he was five, and he became very professional at that. Currently, he's a I think he's done five in Okinawan traditional karate, and I don't know which done in Aikijitsu and other martial arts. Uh, being that, he's always been, of course, a very efficient and very fierce fighter and a warrior in that special unit. And he also took upon himself to train the new recruits for many years uh, in CQB, close quarter combat. And uh, he has currently, I mean, he was... Uh, released from that unit uh, about three or three and a half years ago and it's been a private contractor since and he has his own dojo. He teaches martial artists in a very special way. I had the pleasure to participate in some of his classes. He teaches very calm, very precise martial arts and no yelling, no aggression, no extrovert aggression, but very, very uh, precise and uh, good fighting techniques and uh, yeah so his book i'm gonna read uh, for now actually the book if you read it completely you understand the path he followed in his life how he became from a very aggressive young kid and teenager to a very peaceful man who found his inner peace uh, through being a warrior now the chapters i i translated so far are not necessarily in the order the book is, but they do have some sequence. I mean, I've already read this book uh, three times, and I read it slowly. I read it as a study book, as a philosophy, deep philosophy study book, not as a novel. If somebody expects to find in the book, you know, heroism story or of his battles, uh, they won't find him there because many of them are classified, and also Duby's character is not the one to tell, you know, hero tales. But you can read between the lines and, and understand the experiences he's experienced and, and the way he made, they made him who he is today. Okay, so this is, I'm, I'm going to try and read now my translation of this chapter. Uh, and these are already Duby's words, which of course were written in Hebrew, but I'm reading them in English. Truth. Between the extremities, right in the center, lies the pure truth which is not aware of being that or of its extremities. Between birth and death is life itself, and every moment in it is a center within itself, not aware of being one, and not aware of its birth or end. Any such moment can develop into part of our awareness or be lost forever in oblivion. Plato said, know yourself. And what is that knowledge? It's empty there inside. There is absolutely nothing, just an empty space waiting to be filled or not. And what is that desired awareness? To me, it is the understanding that to every given moment, we can choose to fill the emptiness with everything which is truth. And what are the extremities of consciousness? The clearest are birth and death. But right after that, there are a few more boundaries that can be just as powerful, but they're a little less clear to our consciousness. And those are love and fear. 
When I say love, I do not refer to romantic love, parental love, or other obvious examples, but to the love of life and existence itself. When I say fear, I don't refer to a specific phobia, but to the general anxiety of the unknown, which includes some clear and justified fears, as well as some vague ones. To fill every moment of life with love is the way to the truth, and not understanding that is surrendering to fear. In order to understand the truth, we have to know its extremities, such as alive versus dead, soft versus hard, and any other extremities we can think of. But the hardest one of all, in my opinion, is distinguishing between love and fear. Duby says that the opposite of fear is love, and the opposite of love is fear, not uh, cowardness. Our essence is an empty vessel. Our consciousness can fill it with anything. Any content we choose to fill it with a motive which is not love can create fear, whether we are aware of it or not. Fear is planted in our consciousness as a seed, and if we are not fully aware of it, it can send deep roots and grow formidable trunk, branches and leaves that become an impressive tree, but its inside is weak, vulnerable and hurtful. Know yourself. When we are engaged in a brave and clear observation of our emptiness, we understand that any choice we make to fill our consciousness with anything that is not love or its products allows room for more fear. A friend once said to me, a warrior is who is the one who chooses every moment and action from a position of strength and not weakness. Well, my interpretation is that choosing from love is the strength and choosing from fear is the weakness. I mean, that was absolutely amazing. That was so, that was ridiculously deep. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of those quotes which are really going to resonate with the listeners. But one that definitely resonated with me, which I was sat thinking about as you were talking there, is pretty much how Doobie's saying that your life is almost, um, well, obviously it's a timeline from birth to death but you make your own choices as to what you fill it in with in between. Is that pretty much what one of the messages that he's getting across? Would you agree? Yes, I'm speaking for him now, but I think, yeah, first of all, if you say, talk about life in general, of course, but uh, if we get later in another podcast maybe to translate some of his martial art uh, deep concepts, they talk about center, and all of the center is always you know, fighting the center within yourself, fighting the center within your adversary. And it gets to the point of really practical also martial art advices derived from Okinawan karate and other uh, and other techniques. Uh, but if you come back to the philosophical thought uh, after talking to Duby a little bit and reading the book a few times, what I understand is that uh, what he's saying is everything has a center and has extremities. We are not always aware of them. We're talking about also every moment. And every moment in your life is a moment you can choose to feel with uh, meaningful, to be meaningful to you and your surroundings or not. And your choices are made either from the extremities. I mean, every center has extremities, either from the extremity of fear or what Duby says, which is the complete opposite, love. And again, he means love, the general love of life, the life of the love of survival. Survival has to do with love of life. Your life cannot be always perfect. 
But if your life is sacred to you and you want to continue living, you treat every moment as something you feel with that love of that life, and you avoid fear. I mean, you're at least the unlogical fear, the fear which makes you hate, discriminate, and uh, other actions which uh, destroy you from your path. Now, that bit I really like as well, the, the fact that fear itself can manifest itself. It's, can manifest itself in in many ways and then fear turns to hate which you know we've seen around the world really haven't we for well for centuries but it seems that if you turn that fear to hate it can well for starters it can eat away at you as a person but also it has a huge worldwide knock-on effect and especially when you have people that are capitalizing on that fear and then turning it to hate. And that could be could be the mainstream media, or it could be political leaders, or it could be dictators. It could, it could even be your parents. You know, you, do, you don't know where that is going to come from. I mean, we've seen it recently, haven't we, with COVID, where Donald Trump was turning the, the fear, or was trying to turn the fear of the virus into hate, directing it towards the Chinese. I find that that section was really... Interesting. I think that's a lesson that you can take away from that. Because let's face it, life, you only get one shot at it. It's not a dress rehearsal. You can choose to fill it with whatever you want to fill it with. But I personally would prefer to fill it with with love than hate. I mean, hate's, hate's such a negative emotion, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful to do before for putting that in such an articulate way. What what's your views on the manifestation of, of fear? What's your personal views, Oren? How, especially I guess as an Israeli, as well. You know, there's a lot of outside influences that um, could turn fear into hate. And I know that you've served in war zones and you've served all around the world. What's I'm an ex-veteran myself. What's your view on using fear to turn that into hate? I think it's absolutely right, and it will also lead us to the next segment that I'll read by Duby. Um, but if you're talking about my personal beliefs, um, I've always believed, uh, I didn't articulate it as clearly as uh, as Duby, but I always believed that a certain calmness and a certain belief in good will lead us, which you can relate to as love, and uh, to take life as something you know precious can lead you to good things, and and fear, if you are a fearful person, not, not just fully fearful, can lead you into very bad actions. And I also believe a little bit that if you fear something very badly, this will come upon you. And if you are quite sure it doesn't happen, uh, there are better chances for you that it will not happen to you. Now, I, I'm a son and also you know, a grandson of, of uh, Jewish immigrants who came from the Holocaust. I mean, my mother was born here, but... And she grew in the strong impression of her parents, which were, you know, they escaped the Holocaust in, in Europe. And they were also, they were always very fearful. And that fear, I mean, that kind of fear, which I experienced also sometimes as a child, you know, don't go there, don't do that, that's dangerous. Uh, the, my first few years, I, I remember I was, I never turned fear into hate, but I was, I was very frustrated when I got old enough, about six years old, to do what I do, whatever, in spite of what my mother used to say to me. 
I released most of my uh, unlogical fears and I became who I am today. And uh, the Israeli army, the IDF in general, the ethics we believe in, I, I was an officer and we fought in the first Lebanon war. And we had a lot of engagements with civilians who were suspects of uh, being armed or being terrorists, Shiite terrorists. And we were always very critical about not harming anyone, even if we run a danger. We will not harm anyone unless we're absolutely sure he, he has a gun or a weapon which is pointed at us. So many times we'd see civilians walking with guns, looking at us with hatred, and he, taking a big risk, we would avoid uh, harming them. So when, when you want, you tell me, lead me, I think I'll read another segment, which is a little bit more complicated, but it has to do with the one before by Duby. Yeah, please go on. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the next segment. So over to you. Okay, so I'm opening my translation. Uh, this segment is titled in the book, Love and Violence. I actually asked Duby, why does he call it Love and Violence? Because he doesn't talk too much there about love. But he said it has to do with the previous segment, so I, I respected his opinion and I kept his title. So I'm going to read it now. Love and Violence. Humanity is a part of us being living human beings, including all the spectrum of behaviors. Violence is also an animal in human behavior, and so are love and compassion. Is it possible to disconnect violence and love from moral judgment? Violence is an action, and love is a feeling, and both, standing alone, are not related. It is possible to have, in parentheses, moral violence, such as self-defense in its various forms, and it is possible to see in parentheses, unmoral love, such as nar narcissistic self-love, up to a point of harming another being. If so, it is possible to see violence that is derived from love within all the spectrum of human moral judgment. Since the dawn of history, humans fought and relied upon moral justifications supported by ideology, religion, national and other causes. On one hand, this is moral based on family, community, culture, religion, and more. On the other hand, is the basic primitive moral derived from sometimes unconscious mo motives because we are all living creatures who are part of nature and not its masters, as many of us choose to believe. In nature, there is an equilibrium of physical, chemical, and biological forces. Human beings are the only ones that are constantly breaking this balance, and it is them who are also constantly trying to rebalance and fix the harm done. Scientists are always seeking solutions to existing or pending ecological imbalances that are a threat to our existence. Warriors are trying to maintain the balance and standing of certain communities faced by threats from other communities. In a utopic world with no boundaries and sustainable world peace, with no harm whatsoever meant or being inflicted, there is no need for warriors and not even for scientists. However, from early times, humanity has often chosen fear as a way to control and motivate the masses, fear of the different, Fear leading to creation of segregation, hate, 
and artificial boundaries between communities and our surrounding nature. This is our world. I find myself, since my birth, holding statuses and definitions which I did not choose, and sometimes do not define me even roughly. Some of them I try to deny or shake off, but I was born into a world which defines mostly by definitions external to my being. In this artificial external world, I learned that it is the self and not the image of that truly defines me. It is my self and not my image, which for most part was not chosen by me, that is the meaningful part of my existence. It is my right to defend my self, and it is a true moral right. The right to defend my image as a power is a relative moral right, prone to judgment and interpretations, depending on the, viewer po depending on the viewer's point of view. So, I can find myself protecting myself without granted legitimacy from the ones claiming to define me. The ability to shake dense artificial boundaries and be aware of global identity and boundaries deriving from me being a human being and a living creature is the way I could truly justify some cases of violence as moral. One has to read it two or three times to deeply understand, but uh, I hope in, in a one-time read uh, it made some sense. But the one thing I, I found really interesting there was when he was talking about the uh, media using fear to almost control the masses, which is, I guess, without going down a rabbit hole, it's something that we, we're seeing at the moment. I mean, I was saying on the last podcast that I've deleted all the, anything that's news-related from my phone. I prefer to be blissfully ignorant. And some people might be critical of that and say, well, you know, you, you need to know what's going on around you. But I just think, well, if I'm taking this information from the media who are clearly playing on the fear to manipulate people's views, either intentionally or, or unintentionally, I'd rather just be more conscious of, of my life, you know, because we've lost a year, really. We don't know if we're going to lose a bit more. I'd rather be conscious of the things that matter as opposed to accepting the views of other people to instill fear and instability. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense, and I, I connect to it in every way. Um, I think uh, some, somebody once, uh, a psychologist I had uh, classes with sometime, he defined the two basic types of people who are, how, how their environment affects them in general, not just the media. And one is the, I would, I would try to un, translate it into external point of view, external point of influence, and the other is internal. Now, if you take it to extremities, the one, the ones who are inf affected only or mostly by external point of view are the ones which uh, always have to have the feedback from their environment. They have to have the bigger car. They have to have more money. They have to keep, keep having uh, feedback from their environment, from their society. And uh, the other extremity are actually, you know, the sociopaths, people who don't give, don't even care anything about the society, which of course is not good. But I, I think a, a good way to be is somewhere in the middle, even more tending or bending towards the inner circle, because you have to be true to yourself, first of all. You have to consider society, of course, and your friends. You cannot be a hermit. But if you are a person that chooses what is good for you 
just with some limitations of not harming others, but you choose your path and what is good for you, and you're not subjecting yourself to fears or to media uh, propaganda in a bad way, I think you, you are better off. Last week, we interviewed Dr. David Purvis, who's a um, clinical psychologist and is, is also a, an expert on PTSD and, and trauma. And one of the points that came out of that was about what is controlling you, because you've got your own power and control, but at certain stages in your life, you hand that power and control over to other things, and that power and control you may hand over to the media, or you may hand it over to your boss, or or your car, or your house, or your mortgage, or, or whatever it might be, and then that that object or that person or that influence is then controlling you. I spoke with him off mic. He gave me a really interesting example of um, somebody who was obsessionally cleaning. And he asked this person, you know, if you if you didn't clean, what would happen? And the person said, well, if I didn't clean, then I'd be I'd make myself very ill. I wouldn't sleep and I'd be quite ill. The advice he gave was, well, go home take one of your ornaments and move it into a position it wouldn't normally be in and don't don't clean don't clean that for a, uh, that particular ornament for a couple of days and when the person came back he said oh how did you get on with not cleaning the ornament and I said oh it just it drove me crazy that the ornament wasn't in its right place and that I I couldn't clean it and I've been ill for a couple of days I couldn't sleep his reply was well so basically, you've given all of your power and control to an ornament, an inanimate object, hmm. which is, is what in life we do sometimes, don't we? We give our power and control away sometimes to our mobile phones or, or a letter or a flyaway comment that somebody has made. I really like the fact that Doobie is pretty much saying you're almost a master of your own destiny and you choose how you want to lead your life. You choose what you want to embrace. You choose either love or fear. And as we all know, fear is an extremely negative emotion where fear can lead you to a point where you don't even want to leave the house. So I know for a fact that these two chapters alone are really going to resonate with some of our listeners because we have a lot of feedback from Doobie's podcast in, in relation to some of the parting comments that he left us with that absolutely resonated with uh, with quite a lot of our, our listeners. So I can see this is going to be an absolutely amazing book when it's done. So how many chapters are we looking at then, Oren? Well, basically, I don't know how many chapters because he didn't number them, but it has 180 pages, and roughly each chapter is two or three pages. So we're talking about 50, 50 chapters. There's some, some very interesting topics. They're just much more advanced in the book. I can get to, it depends on the listener's point of view and what do you want, but I can translate two or three for each podcast. If you have half an hour for us or whatever, we can, some of them are very interesting, but you do have to sort of learn, first of all, the basic uh, things that which I talked about. I can just read you some titles here. One is Revenge, one is Mystics, one is Movement, one is continuity, freezing, fighting, escape. And there, there are some more practical chapters 
farther down the book. Uh, but you do have to understand some basic uh, concepts before that. On that point, maybe we could open that up to our listeners and say if there's any kind of life tools that you'd be interested in, any subjects that you'd like to hear some of Doobie's Pearls of Wisdom, drop us a line, email me. You have the email address. It's on our podcast. Send me the questions. We can then hand them over to Oren, and Oren can translate that particular chapter that's relevant to your question. Please give us as much feedback as possible. That will dictate whether this becomes uh, a full-blown audio book in English. Although I think, personally, we should just do it anyway, because even the first two chapters, I thought, I, I hope this becomes a book, because I I would buy it. Yeah, so, Oren, thank you so much for translating those two chapters and the introduction into Doobie and his background. We're really looking forward to hearing some more of those chapters. And if you're happy with that, I'll send you the feedback from our listeners and subscribers. Maybe we could look at some of the other chapters that are relevant to their questions to translate. I think it's a great idea, and uh, I hope Duby thinks as well. I know he will, because he's happy that his wisdom is spread to to other places. He's happy for the chance to, you know, to reach a bigger audience. And he also told me this morning that he will be gladly uh, appearing in the question part of your uh, podcast. I mean, he can answer them. His English is quite good also. I cannot think. I, I think I will always also give you, Jim, the maybe the honor and the pleasure of, of reading some of these segments after I translated them. Uh, in Hebrew, it wouldn't work out too good, but if I translate them into English, I think you can read them too. Could could be could be a bit more eloquent than me. Uh, I'd love to. That'd be an absolute honour and a privilege. And I, I think it's also a great idea that we get Doobie on here as well to answer some of our listeners' questions or to narrate. Please email in if you have any questions. I normally post this uh, podcast on, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, and all the social media platforms. You can download it on iTunes, Amazon, uh, Google. Uh, the dreaded A word, which I won't say because I've got one listening in the background right now, which will chirp up and ask me what I want. Uh, Spotify, please subscribe, please download, and please come back to me with any questions or any topics that you might want us to discuss on the future podcasts. So, without further ado, thank you, Oren. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we look forward to hearing the next podcast. Thank you so much. It was an honor and a pleasure.